Some of you listeners out there are uh, driving to work or driving home from work in your commute, or maybe you're sitting on a treadmill, uh, just running away, trying to just uh, get the best, make, make the best of your horrible life. Or you're maybe you're in your office or your cubicle, and you're taking some some refuge in what is uh, live from the Dutch Hall. And uh, maybe uh, you're looking at uh, us clowns sitting around the, the hall, having a few drinks and having a few laughs. And you're thinking, you know, those guys got it really figured out. Maybe I should uh, do what Pete's doing. And today, we're going to teach you how to do that. So let's uh, teach you how to quit your job, everybody. Take this job and shove it. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Ah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Live from Dutch Hall. I'm your host, Pete Van Dyke, two-time President Club Award winner, Pete Van Dyke, as we say now. Today, my guest on the show is the one and only uh, Tom Bowen Jr. Thanks for coming in, Tom. Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Tom's the uh, star of such uh, the self-titled episode, Tom Bowen. He's also been on uh, Taco Thursday. Uh, he's uh, been on... Uh, Quite a few shows. A we cameo are, appearance on the round two. Birthday. birthday show, right? Yeah, round two, yeah. Yeah, so uh, coin the phrase, the phrase, uh, coin the phrase, <laughs> gladiator deck, right? <laughs> and now we, do, we just had a big t-shirt, uh, a big success for Life in the Dutch Hall. We actually got a t-shirt promotion off the ground, so we've ordered t-shirts. They should be in before the end of the year, I'm hoping. I, I was hoping to get them for Christmas, but it looks like it's going to be... A close call to make it for Christmas, so I'm guaranteeing by 2015 we'll have people wearing Dutch Hall t-shirts. Um, they are ordered, and anyone that has ordered, I thank you very much. They are on their way. But the one uh, t-shirt uh, campaign that failed was the uh, Are You the Haitian Dwarf t-shirt. It didn't make it this time around, but we might give it a second go. And the third t-shirt that we're thinking about doing is an egg in a nest gladiator dick shirt. That sounds great. <laughs> Live from the Dutch Hall coin on the back. And we're thinking that might work. It might. Actually, where are you going to put the, the egg in the nest? At the lower part of the T-shirt? or? <laughs> I never thought about that. I was thinking about just putting it on the chest, but we could make it so that there's just a little egg in the nest around the waist level, right at the bottom, right? Just wear it untucked. <laughs> yeah, you just have to wear it untucked. <laughs> I, when I was in Vegas, there was a guy, he had a T-shirt at the pool. Excuse me, we were at the Palms, and uh, he had this T-shirt that uh, he actually tucked in. You, you tucked it into your pants, and it had... Uh, a penis that came out of your shorts. It was like an erect penis that came out of your swim trunks into your t-shirt, right? Like, and that's the guy's shirt. It was a white t-shirt, plain white t-shirt, just a dick coming out of your pants from your, into your belly, you know? That's all you can see. <laughs> that was one of my favorite shirts. So it's been a long time since, um, since I actually recorded one of these because we did the VG episode on a Monday. So it's been almost two weeks since we did it. So a lot's happened in my life. So that I'd like to kind of just give the uh, audience an update on before I uh, get into the show about uh, quitting your job. So in the last week, I uh, 
went to a rock concert. I broke my wife's leg, and I uh, got into a fight. So that's quite a bit of things that can happen to a to a man. Oh, oh, what is this? Uh, visitor, uh, this is the rooster, Dave Cherry. It's quite a surprise to, to you. Are banned from the premises? You know that, what? don't you? Get, get on some headphones. Get on some headphones here. Sit down. And get yourself settled. I'm a little surprised. I thought you were banned from the premises. Is this on? Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is a real surprise. Uh, banned from the premises? What are you talking about? Well, this is... Uh, you're the... Um... Sorry. I gotta give you the thing. Well, thanks for that. That's yeah. been a while. Hey, it's good to be back. What do you mean, though? You're banned from the premises. You were fired from the show. That was the whole thing. Fired? You made a whole production on Facebook. You wrote a whole long thing about being fired, and you're the rock altar of, from the rock altar of life from the Dutch Hall. Don't you remember any of that? Yeah, shit? that was genius, eh? That was a, I just came up with that one day because the uh, John Gameshi thing was going on. It was a brilliant parody, I thought. John Gameshi. The whole John Gameshi uh, getting fired from the CBC. I, you know, the parallels. I don't even remember John. Who the fuck is John Gameshi? John Gameshi. You know, Bill Cosby used to drug women. That's way more interesting than some guy from Moxie Fruvis. <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> about? Care. Fired from the show. Well, uh, I, you wrote the message, and we were at the wheel of. Uh, it was a joke. It was well, just a big joke on Facebook. But you, but uh, nobody takes Facebook seriously, do they? But we ended up. Uh, I, uh, I took it quite seriously. I, I, I fired you. You made mention of it in the uh, article there, or in the yeah, your post. Did I not fire you? Well, you didn't actually fire me. It was just a joke. What, you thought you fired me? <laughs> well, we had a lot to drink that night, didn't we? Like, what? <laughs> we, we did have a few beers. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like maybe I've made a mistake. I well, what do you mean? Like, I've what, well, well, I've uh, incurred quite a bit of costs and legal expenses to make sure I owned your theme song. Legal ex? What? <laughs> well, it's you were fired from the show and you wrote the music, and so I had to make sure I. I had Mike Bow yeah, record another theme song. That's my for job. Him. I write the music, right? Have you not you been listening what? to the show? Someone else recorded a theme song. Yes, because you were fired from the show. But then I talked to my lawyer. I haven't got the bill yet from. <laughs> and then <laughs> what? He said I own that song. What? Did, why didn't you call me? I haven't even heard from you. Well, I read your thing on Facebook. I thought that was we were talking. <laughs> Is that how it works? Jesus Christ! I suppose I should have called you. Well. <laughs> Well, I, I feel bad so. now because I did all those legal things expenses. With... Like lawyers, what else did you do? Well, like I had your friends and family record uh, disparaging remarks about you. <laughs> which <laughs> what I, I played in the episodes. Why would you? Well, uh, you might not want to listen to uh, Rooster Gets the Axe. That was the episode you might want not want to listen to. In retrospect, it was bad. Why would you do that? Well. It, they were they were really offering it up mostly it was uh it was i didn't friends have and family like who your well your wife uh, uh but i didn't wasn't able to get it hers on the air but she had quite a bit to say about you <laughs> and uh also uh your neighbor and uh adrian and, and mark had given a couple of messages what yeah your neighbor didn't like your yard work eh? he says you'd leave your uh that mulch pile in the yard was started to you bother. didn't play any of this on the air yeah it's it? all it's all in the air yeah Oh it's all <laughs> all uh, live on the air there. Yeah, it's a big head, eh? Good up, uh, good ratings on that episode. Actually, <laughs> well, are we all well, at least unbelievable. Are we all cool now? Then what is wrong with you? Are we all cool? Pick up a phone. Well, 
It's a, it's the it's the uh, com- it's the uh, new electronic world. You know, I didn't know. I thought we were talking on Facebook somehow. Are we okay well, now? Can I've we just move on? I learned a valuable lesson about Facebook. And maybe we should call each other more. <laughs> maybe. Well, this is all worked out. I'm burn my iPhone. This everybody is the payoff. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel good. Yeah, it does feel it good. It feels good to be back. That whole song, I'm only allowed to play about eight seconds of it without having to pay for anything. But uh, <laughs> if you listen to the lyrics of that whole song, go listen to uh, Peaches and Herb Reunited. And er- I mean every word of that song to you, Dave. I mean every- Which one am I? You're Peaches. <laughs> you're definitely Peaches. You guys, def- you guys look like you're ready for makeup sex. <laughs> you want to hug it out? <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about, uh, well, welcome to the show, Dave Charles. Thanks, it's great to be here. Wow, I'm glad I came tonight so we could straighten this all out. Yeah. Well, it was actually great that we did this before the big anniversary show because uh, the anniversary, that it's coming up, eh? We're almost coming up on our year anniversary, two yeah. weeks away from the big anniversary show. Wow, I'm glad I'm not fired for that. Yeah, so. I'm excited. Yeah, this is coming up in two weeks, everyone. So, uh, you know, set your whatever record. Just uh, you subscribe to the show. That's what you should do. Subscribe to the show, <laughs> then you can uh, you'll get the episode. It's gonna be a great one. I mean, the Wheel of Fun is gonna come out again for the anniversary show oh, for awesome. sure, and so we're gonna have a real a real big shindig for that. So, but this show is called Quit Your Job, uh, and uh, so I hope you don't mind uh, s- sitting in for an episode like that, Dave. No, it sounds great. You ever quit a job before? I've recently been fired from a job, but you've recently been fired from a job. Yeah, you remember you fired me. <laughs> yes uh, uh, I did quit I, a job re- I, I don't remember firing you actually <laughs> That was actually, I don't remember that at all I did quit a job one time when I was about uh, 15 years old, I was working on my uncle's farm And uh, one day You know, farm work Sun up to sundown, it just got to me one day And I just started walking 15 years old, I couldn't drive I just I just walked away from the farm I was walking down my And uh, my uncle's farm eh? And it's funny because he to hear him tell the story because he waited intentionally like 30 or 40 minutes. He let me get a good walk in, give me time to think about it, right? And then he came to find me, drove down the road. And then brought you back to work? Brought me back to work. Okay. <laughs> it was about a 40-minute... Uh, and you ended up quitting? It was, it was a quit, yeah. But when you ended up, uh, just because I know a little bit about your history, so you did that when you were at that age, and then you continue to work for your uncle... From, uh, where you went to work from again later on when you were older after school, right? Yeah, I kept working there summers pretty much. Uh, but it became almost full-time where you were like bordering on working full-time there, and that's when you had to make the decision to, to quit while he was still in like a harvest season to make your move to where you're at now, right? Yeah, that's right, yep. And that was... Uh, I started working in the big manufacturing world. And I remember young Dave Charles. 19 years ago. And how old would you have been then, about 21? Yep, yeah, about 21, yep. And at that age, at 21, when you're thinking about uh, how to be a man and take care of yourself, feed yourself, like you're thinking about the primal needs in life, right? Like the, just like, how am I going to be able to like take care of myself as an adult? Yeah, right? absolutely. You need to make money, right? You need to have some sort of, sort of way to provide for yourself. And and you didn't know where you were going at that point in time. You just knew that where you were at wasn't the right spot. So you didn't actually have a job to move into at that point in time. You were just knew you had to find one, right? Yeah, I was still going to school thinking that was a good idea. University, not yeah. really with an exit strategy, though. You know, I didn't know what I was going to do when I was done. Yeah, but at that time, you weren't in school. You were, du- you were done school. Well, I had done two years at university. I hadn't graduated or anything. Like, it was kind of 
Oh, were you thinking about going back? Thinking about going back, yeah, and oh, yeah. trying to get a degree or something. But Tom, Tom, you have a lot of degrees, right? No. Or no, you have, how many degrees do you have? What do you have? Just two. Two degrees, right? Two degrees, yeah. Just two. Now, do you feel your degrees have, are, is money well spent? Wow. Wow, there's a lo- loaded question. Um, yeah, I, I, I always thought of um, formal education as being training. It's like going to the gym. You know, they give you goals, you have to uh, figure out problems, and you learn resources to be able to come to an answer. And if you, get, if you can't do it, you end up, you fail. So that's kind of like a prep for life. You Is know? that like, what education's for? That's what I always thought it was for. I mean, of course, you bring in uh, relevant information to your core topic, but it was really all about training. Yeah, it's about I, training the brain. Yeah, I think it was more of an exercise in problem solving more than anything else because, like, I the assignments that you were assigned in university when you're trying to get like higher level education, you're assigned these you you have these almost unreasonable expectations if you wanted to maintain your social calendar that you grew to be quite accustomed to at least for my in my case like i really enjoyed the social aspect of university and i knew the amount of workload that we had to do and i knew the amount of people who were in similar situations that i was in so for me it was a natural thing to see how can we pool our resources together to be able to get through all this and still have a good time and so we formed what was called a network at that time of people that would like you know save their exams if they could and if there was an extra exam handed out and there was no one sitting there at the desk you'd pocket it you know you know you would and you would share that stuff as resources and everyone would take their turns doing an, uh, an assignment and then they would distribute it to all the other kids so that they could have that's like, pretty innovative no internet at that time it was uh yeah it, internet was very new at the time so we weren't using it for like like they would be now like the kids now i don't know how a teacher would be able to keep people from plagiarizing now or sharing information now it's impossible but you know what and realistically in the real world that's exactly what you would need to do that's a problem solving tool yeah yeah you would need to be able to figure out who's around me what resources do i have accessible to me to be able to accomplish my goal and uh being able to use the people around you i I think that's all i kind of learned from university like the actual (laughs) the details of the the theory that i learned i mean it's a, it's kind of like the maybe the building blocks of my value system or where, where my thought began. But if you leave university and you stop learning, you stop thinking for yourself. If you haven't learned to think for yourself, I should say, then you then you've got nothing at school. If you go out there just expecting to learn what they taught, what pe- someone else taught you, then there's that's not really higher education. That's pretty much, you know, that's pretty much high school. You know, like. You need to, by the time you get to higher level, you should be being taught to come up with new ideas, make the world better, as far as I'm concerned, right? Well, it is about skill building, and I remember, like you said, pooling resources. I was well known for late night poker, a lot of drinking, a lot of shenanigans. And the way I would get around that is uh, basically any of my early courses, uh, say 8.30 to probably 1.30 in the afternoon, could never make them. So what I would do is... Uh, meet, try and find somebody who I knew was very conscientious, particularly females, probably, you know, maybe a six, uh, not too cute. 
and uh, make friends friendly with them. You know, I think you're a sociopath. I think these are early. These are pretty good signatures of Tom being a sociopath. Yeah. Would you agree? But it, it, it really did well when it came time for studying for your exams because all of a sudden this whole uh, notebook full of all the notes and all the lecture notes and everything would be plonked onto your lap and all you'd have to do is like take them to the the residence semi-formal or something and pretending like you really like them. <laughs> That's devious beyond what I whatever I did. Mine was just straight old, like a bunch of old boys club cheating, you know, like going on. But it, how does this, what does this have to do with losing your job, you might ask, or quitting your job, you might ask, right? It's just about the stuff you learn. You think you're preparing at a young age, you're preparing to move into the workforce, and you're trying to do it just to kind of uh, suit, you know, your basic needs. You're like, uh, you know, your, your, your primal needs, you know, you want shelter, food, clothes. You want to be able to get the essentials. Your disposable income is, uh, uh, you're using everything to just kind of survive and your main goal has got to be money because that's what what you want that's how you're going to be able to start out and survive but then as time goes on and they said i watched a movie today called Hap, uh happiness i think or happy it was happy. called happy have you seen it yeah no, i've seen it though on netflix yeah, on yeah netflix, it's on netflix i watched it today and they kind of go over that about how you have um in or internal versus ex I think it was internal versus external values or in, intrinsic versus extra, whatever it is. Internal versus external. Let's say that for now. You know, the research ends up being useless when you fucking write it down in such scribbles you can't read it. <laughs> but um, so, but you have values that you're, you're just trying to get stuff to do with, like, your basic needs. And then, like, uh, there's, like, as you move up the scale on uh, external values, you're looking at more stuff to do with status due to... Uh, your uh the way you're seen as far as fashion goes like your style and then um and also just money you want to have money status and um style or whatever well do you remember maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah do you remember that one right it was the the pyramid it was basically food shelter and then beyond that as you go up the pyramid eventually it was i think the top one is self-actualization yeah self it, it, it's basically like you know, what do I do? How do I contribute? Why am I special? You know, do people look up to me? Do they do they think I'm a putz or do they think that you're a contributor to society and they treat you thus? I remember as a teacher, you had a lot of self-actualization because, you know, regardless of how well you did, you would always touch a few lives. There was always something. Right. So you could always say, yeah, I've affected change. You know, I've, I've helped somewhere. I've, you know, these people... And, 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 and kids were always good about that, too. They'd come back and they'd thank you, and parents would come and thank you, and they'd go out of their way to say, you know, you really did make a, a change in my child's life. That's self-actualization. Right, and that goes into the internal value segment of it, where you're talking about stuff to do with your own personal realization, your own uh, community, uh, uh, what do you call it, community support or activism or whatever. A sense of uh, a sense of worth, like a sense of personal worth, you know, something that fulfills you as a person, right? And very few people are able to get both of those things. Most people get stuck in the rut where you're trying to just kind of get your your uh, physical, you know, needs met, and then you get caught in the trap that is now, okay, well, we got you set up. If you're going to do with us, we'll get all your physical needs set up. You're going to get a nice house. You're going to get food on the table every week for your family. 
we'll set you up if you do it for the rest of your life with us. We're going to give you a nice retirement plan. We're going to give you benefits, and you're going to be set. You don't have to worry about anything, but you do have to uh, get on our program, which is every year that you're on it, you're going to have to achieve what we want you to achieve. And if you achieve that plus, we're going to want you to then achieve that plus plus the next year and plus 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 the next year and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until you realize the deal that they gave you at the beginning when you just had to like show up for work and learn your job, then now becomes this like, uh, it's now become, uh, the balance is now shifted to their like wanting so much from you and you're giving up so much of your personal life and you're seeing the, the impact on your family, on your marriage, on your kids, on your uh, stress level, on your personal health and how fat you are and whether you wake up with... Uh, uh, morning boners anymore like you know like those things will go away when you've been depleted by the job that's like eating at you because it's not true to your authentic self or true to your uh, internal values you know like what's uh, suiting you and that's what kind of happened with me at least um, i think it happens with most people is a giant machine that you know society is a giant machine and and when you're going through school even a high school level and counselors and they want you to go to university and it's all about how you're going to fit into that machine eventually and what's your role going to be in this machine that seems so important to everyone but really yeah yeah what's the point yeah you yeah know? when it comes down to it you're like why am i doing all this you know and uh, tom you quit a how many good jobs have you quit total well, every job I've ever had because I've never been fired. <laughs> You've never been fired ever in your life? No. Oh, yeah? No, never been fired. And uh, that's just because of uh, good work ethic and being able to play the game. Like, you know, if somebody says do something, you do it. And if there's spare time, then you have your fun. Yeah. Right? Uh, Heavy-duty jobs, I quit uh, teaching, but that was only to move to another phase in life and do water treatment. But... The one job I did quit that I had to quit was a sales job I had for a, a draft beer manufacturer, or a draft beer equipment company. They were a manufacturer, and I was head of international sales and marketing. And you know, I was young and couldn't get a teaching job, and decided to do that. Um, and it was a good job. I got to travel the world and experience a lot of things and live beyond my age and and sit in board meetings with you know 50 year olds and and people who are you know very intelligent but unfortunately the the guy who led the company who was i was pretty much his right hand man but the guy turned out to be a total asshole and what are you going to do i mean they own the patents on the 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 machinery they own the company you're basically there to do their bidding and even though they promise you the world, you know, bonuses, this, that, and the other, when you're in the private sector, you never know what you're going to get. And this guy just turned out to be a big, a big idiot. And he was turned out to be a cokehead. And, you know, it got ridiculous. After a while, it would be like, you know, I get a call at 6 o'clock at night after I've gone home after a long day of work and maybe even played nine holes. And he'd say, oh, talk to my brother. And uh, tell him to, you know, get the guy to show up and get some coke, and then bring it up in a file folder and pretend it's, you know, we got a, we got business, right? And he'd hide in his bathroom downstairs, and I'd sit there, and, and so his wife and kids upstairs would think that he was, uh, you know, was doing work when actually he was just doing drugs. And uh, after a while, I mean, we, 
we started making millions of dollars selling equipment and and I just and, I what, and you weren't seeing the lion's share of it I'd take it no I was seeing some of it but he was really taking the lion's share of it and he got weirder and weirder I mean he, he was living in <clears throat> excuse me sorry a little frog here he was living in the British properties and our uh, in Vancouver and our uh, office what are the British properties well, it's on uh, the North Shore of Vancouver. It's not Vancouver City. It's uh, across the Lionsgate Bridge. It's where all the rich people, the Chinese, would live. Uh, they call it the British Properties because um, uh, uh, I think Guinness Breweries bought the whole mountain at one point and owned it. Anyways, he would sit up in his uh, by his pool and he had a telescope and he could actually point his telescope down into our office, which is on Capilano River, down by the the waterfront. And he could see into our office, and he'd, he'd call me up, and he'd say, uh, where are you guys? I'd be like, oh, we're just out for a smoke break. And he'd be like, oh, just wonder. It doesn't seem like there's a lot going on there. I'd be like, well, what the fuck are you doing, <laughs> yeah. asshole? Howard Hughes up there with, oh, with Kleenex <laughs> boxes on his fingertips. and you know. He was a nightmare. <laughs> he, he was such a creepo, too. Like he. Uh, so how know. did you quit? Well, I'll get to that, but oh. I got to tell you, like how the straws, the proverbial straws, eventually got to get there. I mean, I put uh, about four good years of my life and and some of my best ideas into product development and and sales and traveling the world and and getting sales up and and this guy just totally destroyed it. And and like just for example, he he was the type of guy that. Uh, He'd go into the staff room, and I don't think he took very good care of himself, or the bathroom. So he'd have, like, diarrhea, and he'd leave it in the toilet. It'd be awful. <laughs> and he'd say... That was just a little gift for staff? Oh, yeah, and he'd say, uh, oh, you got, there's a leak in the... Would you go in there and check out there's a leak <laughs> in the, by the toilet or whatever? And he'd walk in, and it would just be, like, horrific, and there'd be... The whole toilet bowl would be full of shit. And, and then all of a sudden, you'd hear him out in the hallway going, blast, you know, and he'd think it was hilarious. <laughs> Fucking guy was nuts. I remember he took me down to uh, San Francisco for a trade show. We were down there. We had a, a company that, that sold our equipment. And uh, I'm there, and he disappeared. You know, he's gone. And about two hours later, he shows up, and he's you can just see when he walks in the door, he's totally flying high. And he's got these two hideous crack whores with him, <laughs> these black women that he's picked up off the street. And he's like, hey, let's party. And I'm going, holy shit, what is wrong with you? And I won't mention his name, but uh, he Where had, is he now? He has he since passed. What did it happen? The cocaine blew his heart up? Um, Actually, what I hear... Is that he? I know he started getting involved with uh, uh, bringing uh, companies to uh, uh, what do you call it, like the VSC, so uh, or the like the TSC. So he'd take companies and get them tr publicly traded. They promote them and then dump them. It was all a big scam, and he ended up moving. Oh, the, the TSX. TSX, and yeah. he'd uh, he moved to the he moved to Bahamas and he lived down there high in the hog. And supposedly his uh, uh, liver and, and kidneys failed from eating too many uh, predator fish. He liked barracuda and grouper and things like that. And they have these like cyanamid. Uh, so that's what got him. The, 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 the that's what they say. Oh, the, yeah. the, oh sorry. I, I was interrupting the, the scientific correspondent part of it. But he, it was because of some bacteria in the, in the uh, predator fish? In the water. They call it bioaccumulation. So what happens is he's uh, like red tide. 
uh, these algae that would uh, produce these toxins would get eaten by smaller fish and then smaller fish eat and, and sure. fat soluble, right? It, was it like gets concentrated in there. It gets concentrated. So eventually he would eat these predator fish. He loved them. And he just was at the end of the food chain and got all these toxins. So he dropped dead. He was like 59. Oh. I, I honestly didn't really, when I heard it on Facebook, I kind of giggled because I just thought he was a dick. Yeah, yeah. You I know. know. I just didn't like the guy. I worked for a couple of them. <laughs> I'm not... But eventually, uh, the whole thing, I could just see things unraveling, and I just knew that, you know, I was never going to get what I was promised. And, and finally, I had to make a decision to quit my job. So I got in my car, and I just said, screw you. See you later, buddy. Actually, I, uh, I kind of blackmailed him. I don't know if I should be saying this on thing but i wanted some severance he's dead he's dead right yeah but it's still, oh you still it's is still, the company still alive uh no it's it the company is he sold it off it is still uh actually uh out in bc yeah when you have a Perfect. severance you have to be careful i have one i want to talk about too but i can't <laughs> well the, the the way it worked was he was giving me no severance and i said to him uh basically do you think lindell that was his wife and i shouldn't even mention that but i think <laughs> do you think she'd like to hear about the cocor and the 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 underage girl in england when we're in birmingham and uh all your cocaine and all your bullshit and i said how about the offshore accounts uh that i know about in jersey and i know all <laughs> and basically cut me a check so i could walk but uh, <laughs> it was one of those things but i i really dislike the guy and eventually sometimes you just have to go i don't care how much effort i put into this i don't how you know you have visions you always start these projects with visions of riches right right always and you put all your effort into it and and, and then somebody derails it on you and you know i could see why sometimes business things go really ugly and people take hammers to their partners because uh this guy just really deserved it but uh being in a business relationship is like is definitely like being in a marriage and you, and you see a lot of marriages end and it's uh, not pretty and i've no. seen business relationships and just as ugly as any marriage i've seen you know and it is exactly it's it's so there's so many parallels when you talk about um anything to do with uh your job your career your business and you talk and you can easily apply the same principles to your marriage or your life or your family, you know, and and the problem is, is that a lot of us don't have the energy when we get home from work to spend that time on our family that we do at work It's controlling ourselves by the time. It's like your kids. When your kids go to school, you get a little you, I don't know, but most people are, feel this way where you go to your first parent teacher interview and your kids are like kindergarten or something like that. And uh, the teachers tell you your kid's a perfect angel and you're like what like I, I, my kid like yeah. uh my kid is a is a disaster at home you know like how come they're so good at school and it's because they go to school and they behave themselves all day and when they come home they feel safe again so they act like little assholes because they don't have any more energy to behave themselves and it's the same thing with us coming home just from like work. mom and dad yeah just like mom and dad coming home from work you're like uh you don't have anything left almost to keep yourself you know um Keep yourself to be like a civil human being, you know, at that point in time. And that was the kind of thing. I, I was like, when you guys talked about, uh, or Tom talked about not being fired, I've been fired. I was did a little, I did a little list of my jobs that I had in my life that I've quit or was fired from. And I was fired from one, two, and three, because I was fired yesterday. <laughs> um, it was a busy week. Yeah. So my first job ever I had was Linville 
farm equipment. I shouldn't even call it the, some farm equipment place at the end of my road, <laughs> it's right? It's not in Linville. Not anymore, it isn't, but it was then. <laughs> and uh, there was the guy that owned it at that time was... Uh, he, I was a child. Like I was, a, I was definitely child labor by any stretch, by any like definition by today's standard. I was child labor, and I was hired to do inventory for the guy. So I had to basically. He bought like, uh, uh, like, like big containers full of junk, like full of mechanical junk, like washers and bolts and nuts and all this, like basically tractor parts that he gets in bulk and you have to sort them. And he gave me a few books catalogs to go through, and I had to find the part number. And I had to write it in a book, and I had to catalog every little washer and every little bolt and stuff like that. And when you're like 10 years old or 11 years old, whatever you were, you know, maybe I was 12, you know, but still you're cataloging bolts. Like it's not a very exciting job, right? Yeah. And my brother, who was probably like eight, nine years old at the time, also wanted to work. The guy said he had to work for him too. So he came over, and I remember he was paying me like five bucks an hour. He paid my brother three, I think, right? And, uh, because he was even younger and he had my brother uh wire brush and machinery so he had to sand machinery down before he painted it like piece of shit uh you know discs and stuff like that and then he would like sand he'd have to like take wire brush to him before the guy spray paint it get the rest off it get the rest off it right so my brother had to take a brush and brush it you know as a kid you give a guy a wire brush you tell him to brush something it's a lot easier than going through a catalog and finding a part in a dark <laughs> barn that's got one light bulb in it, and you're trying to look and you can't even barely see in the book. You get an old greasy part, you're trying to find a number on it, and you're, you know, like it's not exactly a job that a young kid's going to sink his teeth into by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. right? So we realized he's getting a lot. My brother's sanding the fuck out of machinery, like he's just going at it like crazy because he's a young kid, thinks he's going to get three bucks an hour, whatever it was, you know. And this guy says, I'm getting this guy to work for three. And this other guy's just sitting there in the shed, standing there all day. And he's getting five. You know, I'm firing Pete and I'm going to keep Paul. Oh, really? Yeah. So he said that to my dad. He goes, your oldest son doesn't work very hard and your youngest son does. (laughs) And my my dad was like. Your dad's thinking, this is like free daycare. It's better than free because he's getting paid. And no, my dad says, my kids have both worked on my farm. And I know that. Pete works hard as hard as Paul, like, or at least, uh, you know what I mean? Like they're, he's a hardworking kid. In fact, I think Pete steps up to work a little harder than Paul at the time. Paul, uh, was more motivated by money. And if my, my parent, my dad didn't pay anything. So he wasn't very motivated to do work for free, which, uh, I can't blame him for. And, uh, but I was more uh, filled with a sense of obligation to the family farm, so I would do it, right? So my dad says, you know, if you're firing my one son, you fire both of us, both of them. You know, none of them are working for you, right? So we quit. That was my first job I ever quit, or I was fired from. Sorry. And then I worked, got a job when I first finished university. I worked for Norfolk Co-op and I started their uh, GPS program. And I quit that job because I had another job for FCC that uh, came up and it allowed me to get married. Like it was a uh, I was getting married, and I thought, "Oh, this is a good job. I'm in the. I, it's a nice corporate job. You yeah. know, it's got a nice good, nice and stable, stable benefits. I might put my wife through school. It made it's made sense, right? So, how'd, you, how'd you quit the first job? The, the uh... well, I told him. I said, "Like, listen, I got this opportunity that came up. It's, you know, I was working for nine bucks an hour when I started. You know, so it, they were telling me I, they knew that this job was." I think I got paid thirty six grand or something like that to start when I started, and uh, that was a lot more than I was getting at the co op, right? So they they uh, understood and they wished me the best and stuff, and I kept all my 
Doors open there. And then when... Uh, Sounds like a real responsible way to quit. Like you didn't... Yeah, I didn't burn any bridges. Nothing. I was really nice about it. And actually, I ended up when I, I worked for FCC for two years or so. And then I quit because uh, we had an opportunity to move back home. My wife was getting ready to start her business. And she wanted to start practicing her craft at home. So um, we had an opportunity to move home. It didn't work out with that company. And then so I talked to the co-op. They had another opportunity for me at home. So I moved home. I quit. And that was my big thing because I would get up every morning and go work for FCC and puke before I went in in the morning. And I just hated being there and it didn't suit me as a person. I felt real dirty about being in sales and, you know, doing things that, you know, like the thought of having to like foreclose on someone or make some of those tough decisions was really scary to me as a young man because I thought it was just really mean to people. Like I didn't see the value in doing it right, you know? And uh, so. Uh, I was miserable there. So when I quit the first time at FCC, I was really happy to quit. I thought I had finally broke free of that, you know, noose around my neck. And I thought I, you know, solved all the problems and I'd go do this new job for the co-op. Turned out that was a big, a big disaster, the job at the co-op that I moved into. I was supposed to manage this factory or this fertilizer plant that uh, the sale never went through. So the deal that I was hired, I left my job to go manage this plant. And the plant never got bought. And then they asked me to go and uh, see if they if they if it was a good move to buy the the plant. And then I did the analysis for them. I said it's not. And then basically I worked my I consulted myself out of a job. You know. <laughs> so they asked me. Uh, I could see it. So then I did some more consulting work for them. Like I did, found another project to do for them. And uh, I could kind of see some of the things that were going on with that business, and I was worried by it. Like I, so I made a recommendation to the board of directors and stuff. I said, this is what you should do. They rejected almost all my uh, suggestions as a young kid telling them what to do. They thought I was an idiot. And uh, so then uh, they did nothing with it. And then uh, I thought it was a sinking ship. And uh, so I, um, they said, Pete, we have to find something for you to do or we have to fire you. And I said, tell them to fire me, like, uh, because I thought it was sink the ship. And it did go broke uh, after I left, because I could, and I could see the writing on the wall, even at that time. And so the guy, we ended up negotiating somewhat of a severance, but I can't get into the details of it. But that, that particular guy that I worked for was, uh, I think he should be up on criminal charges, because back in the, if you look at the, uh, the days of the, co-op you know like the, the the tradition of the co-op in uh, small rural communities is that you would pool your resources together as farmers and you would get a cheaper price and you would uh make things like better for everyone because you get there and the people would invest in the co-op because they would do the job of like trying to find cheap cheap uh, product for you it's like buying a costco membership yeah yeah you get the buying power of a bigger group right that was the idea behind it and a lot of old little old ladies would invest in the co-op because it was a good investment local business and that would be their little retirement savings right and then these idiots that they hired to manage the company would then they would be motivated by their own personal goals to like get bonuses so their all their decisions they made were based on their own personal bonuses and not what was best for those little old ladies who invested in the business it goes against the idea of the whole thing. Yeah, it was all about personal. Uh, actually, you know, we wanted to benefit personally, but you, you didn't see the benefit to the greater community or benefit to the, you know, to the investors, benefit to your shareholders. But, you know, all the things that you should be thinking about when you're having people invest their harder money in you. And I feel that that guy uh, did some moves that was uh, grossly 
negligent that cost those women their retirement. Or I always say the women because I picture the little old lady, but there was men <laughs> and stuff. There was like people, just just people yeah. who were good, honest people that put their money into that, expecting the people that were running that show to be good and honest, and they didn't do their job. And somebody should have paid the price for it because those people lost their savings, like they lost their savings on that, and that was a yeah. terrible, terrible deal for our community and stuff. So, anyways, I don't regret quitting that job one bit. In fact, uh, once I had the severance signed, the guy told me some advice. He said, Pete, I'm going to get, now that it's all done, signed, he goes, I'm going to tell you, next time you get an opportunity like this, I suggest you make the best of it. And I go, I just did. I go, I just negotiated what I think is a ridiculous severance uh, to get out of a sinking, get off a sinking ship. And you should be ashamed of yourself, you know, like, and that was the way I left that. And so the, the door was f fairly closed on that one when I left. Which I was happy to close that door. And I uh, went and did a fledgling mortgage broker business, which is okay. It paid the bills. I really prided myself when I was a young man that I put my wife through school and I always paid the bills. You know, like uh, even when I was switching jobs, I always knew I never missed a, a check, you know. And then uh, worked for FCC again. Or no, sorry, I, I did the mortgage brokering thing and then CIBC hired me. And I worked there for two months of the biggest hell of my life. <laughs> and uh, uh my wife was like begging me to quit and i'm like i can't i gotta have this paycheck thing it was a real um personal goal of mine not to ever lose a paycheck you know so i was like i can't unless i have something else i'm not moving on something and so then i had a job an offer to move back to fcc i did and i worked there for, for like 15 years or 14 whatever it was a long time and uh then i quit there and I asked for a leave of absence so I could get some stuff done for my wife's business. They said no. And so then I said, well, I have no choice but to quit. And then they, uh, I remember they escorted me to, the, I was okay to work there until my uh, date, until I announced that I had accepted a tentative offer to work for the Royal Bank later on. And then they escorted me out the door. I had to go do the walk out the door. <clears throat> which is humiliating you who know who escorted you you're like, my boss at the time your immediate uh yeah she felt bad about it one level up yeah so i said to her too i go um i go you're gonna walk me out and she says yeah we have to walk you out i said well let, can i go say goodbye to people because i had i just want to say goodbye to somebody i've been there for so long i felt it was owed to me you know and she was nice enough to say yeah go ahead and you know say goodbye to somebody <laughs> i shouldn't really admit to this on air but i will because i know there's people at fcc that listen to the show <laughs> Uh, so on the way out, I just want to do something to help somebody out. Like, I didn't know who was there. So I'm walking through the hallways, and I see this one um, girl I work with. You know, uh, when she was just starting out, she worked in my office here locally. And uh, I saw her. She had moved to this office. And I saw her in there, and, I, and I, thought, I thought very highly of her. So I walked into her office and said, you know, you're really good at your job. I'm getting walked out. I'm, I'm leaving. But I wanted you to know I really enjoy working with you. You're a great girl. You're um, really smart and you're really hardworking. And you just have to be careful. They don't take advantage of you. Like stand up for yourself because there has to be a limit to what you're going to do. Otherwise, they'll just take, take, take until there's nothing left of you. Of you. And I said, uh, just make sure that you know your worth and you stand up for what you're worth. You know. I said, then you'll have a, can have a career here. But otherwise, I don't know how you can do it. And you know what? That's not just uh, that particular place. Every manager. Every person you work for, their job is to manage you and the work you do, and they will get as much out of you as they can. That's their job. 
it's your job to tell them or to set that level you're talking about that this is this is what you get and you don't get anymore. They, they're not there to manage your personal life. If you're working too much because they're taking it from you and it's affecting your personal life, it's not their concern ever. Right. It's yeah. always your concern. It's always your concern, yeah. You manage your personal life. Yeah, this, what's interesting about And that's this... a tough thing to... That's a really tough thing to realize, Yeah, I think, for most people. Because you get you get trained that you ha- your reward system is more money, more status within your company, promotions, responsibility, all that stuff is positive. You take on more, you take on more, you take on more. You get more money, you move up the ladder, you feel more you should be feel more self-actualized. You're you're more important now. You have more responsibility, you have more people to answer to you. You're more impressive, you know, you can brag that you're a manager or a yep. whatever. And in know? the back of your mind somewhere you're rationalizing it that this is all, you know, to make my personal life better. Right. You know, it's all for my family. I'm doing it. I'm doing everything, you know, for my personal life, but that's not actually the case usually. Mm-hmm. Well, they did a study in this movie I saw happy on Netflix today. Uh, they did a study on the happy, on the happiest places in the world and the, and the least happy places in the world based on whatever formula they cooked up. And uh, the, the study of happiness was uh, something that was quite controversial, like especially back in the 60s and 70s when people started talking about the measuring happiness. They were really um, uh, rejected in the, in the psychological community because... It was considered to be something frivolous, frou-frou, you know, but they would still measure de- depression. Like they still thought depression was something that would, that could be quantified and measured, but not happiness. Right. So, but nowadays, like it's, it's paramount. It's a complaint driven system and people complain about depression. No yes. one complains when they're happy. Well, I know. Well, that's the thing. And now we have such an epidemic of people who are not happy that people, anything about happiness is now. Huge business. Like, it's, it's, people are interested. How can I be happy? How can I be happy? Yeah, what's right? the key? Because they're doing everything they think they should be doing, and they're still not happy. They're just on this this treadmill of life they can't get off. And um, I think I think for me, I, mean, I was forced to do it. Like, so that's why I did it, why, why I finally quit. Like, I finally got off the machine is because I was forced to, but uh, because of my situation, I, I had to move, and then I adjusted. But... Um, like when I quit Farm Credit to do this thing for my wife, uh, it was a it was a construction project. We had a, we bought a building, we had to renovate it, and we had to get it up and running for the for the time to move my wife's business by the time her lease, lease came up. So it was a, it was an unrealistic project to expect a third party to do for you in the unrealistic time frame you had to do it in. So I knew I had to manage the project and do as much as I could. So for me, I had to do it. It was no brainer, and I I got my backup plan with Royal Bank, but I scheduled it so let me get my project done and I'll come work for you. And they said, well, come work for me one day a week. So I said, okay, one day a week is fine. And uh, my boss, the guy that had hired me and had been recruiting me for some time, um, was younger than me, well-respected in the industry, and, and uh, you know, for all, by all accounts, uh, decent at his job, but uh, not my kind of guy. Younger than I was, uh, fancy, really fancy, you know, like a very polished guy, loved his golf membership and, you know, his status type stuff, you know which I all meant nothing to me. Like I was not impressed by it all. He was offering me all these great riches of bullshit status or whatever these bankers get off on. Right. But it meant nothing to me. And I spent, uh, I worked, uh, one day a week there. And, uh, by the third day, uh, I'm already getting grief about, uh, the way I dress or the way I talk or whatever the questions I ask, you know? 
And then uh, the fourth day, I remember I had carpet coming in to my project. I said, I'm not going to be able to come in the day I'm supposed to. I'm going to come in the Friday instead. And they said, no, no, we have stuff lined up for you. You have to come in the day you promised. And I said, I'm not ha- it's not happening. I got carpet coming in that day. It's important. Like, my priorities are strictly on this. You know that. And he says, I don't know why you're being like this kind of thing. Like, you really have to prioritize what you want to do with your life and stuff like that. So then my fourth day, I went in. And then I, I go in, I'm ready. I go in the guy's office and he's giving me a lecture. Now, I want to remind everybody, I've been doing this for two months. I've been out of banking. I was uh, overweight. Like I was probably 208 or something. Um, I was, uh, I didn't sleep. I was, uh, I would say I had chronic pain problems, probably due to depression, I would say, most likely. Um, Heavy anxiety problems, uh, a number of issues that were plaguing me just from the stress of my job. That was it. And I got away from it for two months. All of a sudden, like, I dropped 20 pounds. I was, uh, felt alive. You know, you felt, like, motivated. Like, you would wake up in the morning like a teenager with a boner that was, like, uh, unbelievable. Like, where was that? Like, there was probably 10 years where that thing wasn't around, you know? Like, it got up when I needed it. But it's, like, uh, in the morning, I like it to be ready for me when I get up, you know? And that stuff never happened when I was at work and that stuff happened. So I go into the guy's office and he's like you know you're being real difficult and i was i was being difficult to his credit and uh he's like you know you've been here for three days you've already made all these waves and you know like you really got to think what you want to do and i said you know what you're exactly right you're exactly right i did a lot of thinking about the exact same thing why would i be causing all this trouble when i've only been here three days and the only conclusion i come up with is i really don't want to be here i said i quit right and uh his because he had uh, spent years recruiting me I had a, like a signing bonus and all these things that they had promised me if I just waited till I like, started full time. And I basically just said like, I can't, you can't argue with the, the evidence here. You know, like I'm, I, I, I'm a, I feel great again. You know, like I'm dropped 20 pounds. I have energy. I, my marriage is better. My family life is better. My everything's better. I have boners in the morning, you know, like I can't, you know, like everything's better, you know, this like is the opposite of what's good for me. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, for me to ignore the fact that all the evidence is pointing to me, not doing your shit, it's too strong. I can't do it. I said, I quit. So he's like, you have to talk to my boss because I, I really went out on a limb to get you here. And he, this guy made it happen and you have to call him. Right. So I said, yeah, give me the guy's number. I have no problems with it. Like, well, I don't even work here anymore. You know, like, I have no, I'll talk to anybody, right? So um, I called the guy up and I said, like, hey, Frank, how's it going? I met him one time, you know, some guy up big wig at the Royal or whatever. I told him exa- exactly what I just said. I said, I lost 20 pounds. I feel great. I don't have pain issues. I sleep better. Boners in the morning. Told him that whole, the whole nine yards, right? I'm like, I just feel like this job's going to kill me. And I don't want to do it anymore. And uh, I said, this life's just not for me. Like, I'm just... I'm not meant for it. And uh, the guy says, well, it sounds like you got all figured out, Pete. He goes, I just hope I can work with you on the other side of the desk someday and you know, all the best to you in the future. And that was it. Like, it was great. The best thing I ever did. And uh, I went back to Farm Cre- or to FCC, you know, and talking to some of my old co-workers. And I had, didn't know what the uh, perception of my exit was and the <laughs> whole everything that's ensued, you know. And uh, the one young guy, I worked with him for a bit. He's a nice guy. Uh, he said, um, oh, Pete, you're like a real, uh, he called me a real folk hero. He says, you're like a folk hero because everyone's got these uh, stories, you know, like like telling everyone to go fuck themselves yeah. and riding off into the sunset. Two months and you're like, 
It's a, there's a legend. <laughs> yeah. I said, what you don't notice is that when I ride over in the sunset on the other side of that hill, I've just, it's me and my horse lying in the fetal position crying, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's not as old school cooked up to be like, that's the thing about this. I had a real good mentor of mine that I went in to ask advice before I quit. And, uh, the guy's quite accomplished and I respect him a lot. And I asked him, I said, what should I do? And the guy was nice enough to give me some real honest advice. And he said, Pete, what are you afraid of? You afraid you, 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 you know, if you're not happy, like just leave. He says, you, if you don't, it, what are you afraid? You can't, um, you're going to fail. He goes, if you're going to fail, then come back. I said, you, you, you've done good work. You have no reason why people wouldn't hire you back. Like you got a guy that's fully trained to do the job. If the worst case scenario is you come back and work for us again. The, he goes, uh, what are you afraid people are going to think? less of you he, said, well, he goes fuck them you know he goes like it's not about what they think of you it's about how you feel about yourself right so and then he also told me he says right now you're going to be at the beginning you're going to be in the honeymoon phase and then uh that will wear off and uh he said uh then you're going to want to call me and uh i want to call him <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to call him for a job right yet but i want to call him just to find out how bad does it get? Because I'm not sure if I'm at my bottom right now or if I'm just, if I'm still headed there. You yeah. know, like uh, how low am I going to get on this thing? Like uh, trying to figure out it's a big thing. Like you know, you can the once you made the decision to move, it's you know you have that peace. You know, you made the right decision. Now you have to think how am I going to? You go back to the bottom of the pyramid again. Like how am I now going to feed my family yeah. and? Uh, <laughs> put a roof over my head and make sure that we're not arguing about money anymore, you know? But when you, I think if you look at it, what, what the problem is that people don't do is when you're on this treadmill and you're going, and you're going, and you're going, people don't quantify their time. They don't quantify, like they don't ask themselves like how much money do we really need to be happy? Like at what point can we stop, start doing less and start, like, when can we get to a 30-hour work week? You know, aren't we smart enough at this point in time to come up with a fucking 30-hour work week that's going to work? Like, or Tom, like, isn't it supposed to be at this point in our life that we're smart enough to be able, with technology and all the stuff that we have at our fingertips, that we can do our job, a 40-hour job, we can do it in 30 hours? I know we can do it. The it, problem is, is that they want you there all the time, and they they put the sucking machine on you, or they put those extra... Hey, we here. You know, now you have a, a, a an unreasonable amount of emails to keep up on to get you through a workday. He goes, but you, it all of it is shit. Most of the stuff you're going to have to respond to has nothing to do with actually getting the job done. But we've created all this mess in the middle now that's going to just take that time from you to fill in the other ten hours of the week that you don't need instead of just sending you home to go spend time with your family and do something that's going to make you like more at peace with yourself. I was getting into this happiness thing. Guess which is the least happy country in the world? Any United guesses? United States. No, not the United States. Oh, I should know this because I watched that movie, but... Uh, you watched it? escaping me, yep. Well, you, sh you should know it. it. You should know it, Dave, because you've been there many times. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's Japan. That's it's Japan. Right. It's Japan. And yeah. the reason is that Japan is... Yeah, and they had some good... Uh, yeah, go ahead. They had really good research into why, right? Yeah, because the in the World War II... The worst atrocity in the history of mankind was the two atomic bombs that were dropped on Japan. And uh, they made it their national goal after that atrocity to make it their, to everyone made it their national goal, like their cultural initiative to rebuild that country and make it the Mecca of 
economic success in the world, right? So they went all into this period of economic growth and economic success, and they became like the all in the model of the of the Western world, really, on what to do. And but what the result they find now is is that their culture is so entrained and entrenched in being like the most efficient, the most uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the pressure that's on them for efficiency and quality is so strong and the amount of uh, the sense of uh, duty that the people have towards the country or towards their company is so strong that they actually have a word now called Kiroshi. Do you know that word, Kiroshi? I, I didn't know it until I watched that movie, but... Yeah, Kiroshi is a Japanese word that means death by work. And it's actually such a problem in Japan now that people will die from being overworked that they have like um, charitable organizations that do benefits to raise money for the families of people who have worked themselves to death. And uh, they show the amount of, you know, they, they were showing people sleeping on the rail cars going in. And that one really hit me because I've been on so many subways in Japan and that's exactly what it's like. You go after your work day, you hit the subway or you get on the train and everyone on the train is sleeping. Yeah. They hit their well, they their, have, their they ass have, hits the seats. They have cubicles too that you can rent to sleep in. Yeah, and whatever rest they can get, whenever they can get it, they take it. Yeah, and uh, that wasn't what they showed in the movie. Isn't like fictitious. Isn't it, yeah, yeah, it wasn't just showing the odd people on the train sleeping. No. it was showing like the whole train sleeping. Yeah, what I found that's with what them too is that they encompassed work into their whole lives. So instead of work being separate from say social or entertainment. They just extended their work days. So when I was in sales, when I used to deal with the Japanese, the the work day would start at, at 6 a.m. breakfast, but everybody's together. So it's like this big business meeting already off the bat. Then you'd work all day, but nobody gets to go home. Then it's like, okay, dinner. Now dinner's still part of the, the transaction. And then it's not only dinner, then it's it's socializing afterwards, and it would go on till midnight. And it was always just all, like the workers were together and everything's business and yeah, talking yeah. and and nobody would have a break. Yeah, the one interview like, they what had. The, what the hell? Like it was like, come on, guys, I just want to go home and go sleep and watch some TV. Yeah, yeah. And they just wanted to just like blow smoke up each other's ass all day long. This one guy they had uh, they interviewed. Him. They're like, what is today? And then he goes, today is my birthday, and he's all happy. And they go, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going out with my coworkers uh, for my birthday. And they go, well, what does your wife and uh, family think about you um, not spending the evening with them on your birthday? And he says, I was invited by my coworkers, and uh, my obligation to my coworkers is strong, and I will see my wife tomorrow. You know, like that was his answer. Like, you don't turn down an invitation from work. You know, you have to be available to work first and everything else second. And what that does is it, it makes them unhappy because they've put their they've put things that are not true to their authentic self they're not true to who they are before who before who what the things that make them truly happy and if they this, there's one place in japan that's the exception to the rule and that's okinawa okinawa is the place where the people live the longest in the world and where there's a great sense of happiness there and the reason is because it's a small island community there's a great sense of community um where everyone supports each other it's kind of a communal almost communal living in the fact that the community's raising the you know helping to raise the children as far as being there together everyone supports one another 
and uh, everyone's happy. And most of the ex examples of happiness had nothing to do with with money. In fact, the people who were the most happy were generally the people who had the best sense of community, the best sense of purpose, and the best sense of, uh, like, where they had the leisure time. They went to this uh, tribe in, uh, I think, Nambia, uh, where it was one, one of the um, oldest... Uh, they were my favorite. They went to. They tried to get back, um, like as close to our uh, like caveman roots as they could. Like people completely removed uh, from anything Western, and like all they had was the odd T-shirt and stuff that they sent over. The odd like Bills Super Bowl champion T-shirt that yeah. they sent over, or whatever. And, but other than that, they were like a bunch of people sitting around grass huts, right? Yep, grass huts, campfire every night. Men hunted and and, uh, and gathered. They're picking berries out. They're, yeah. They walk down their little footpath every day, six guys with their bows and at picking night, berries. And at night, you'd see them come back to the campfire. They'd have uh, fire lit. Everyone would be dancing. There'd be like a, some topless woman with their tits fucking flopping all over the place, <laughs> dancing by the fire. It was a great time. Look, everyone's yeah. having a great time. All sitting around laughing, having a chat. You know, everyone's huts are kind of close to one another. It's like a big yeah. camping party forever. And all they do is get up in the morning. Get with their buddies. Yeah. You want to go kill some stuff to eat? Yeah. And then they show them in the middle of their work day where they're gathering and hunting, and they they just sit down or around the path, and they're just telling stories and laughing their asses off. Everybody's smiling. Yeah. And you ask them if anyone in that tribe is suffering from depression? No. No one is. Yeah. There's not a sad guy in the tribe. <laughs> and they're wearing loincloths and it's, sleeping it, under a grass. It's funny how you're talking about happiness and, and, and work. And one of my heroes is a friend of mine. And he had two two uh, quits quits that he did that I thought were very instrumental in his life, and I thought they would be detrimental. But after talking to him about it, Deep. he uh, it was very simplistic. First one I remember, he his parents had kicked him out of the house. He was living in the woods, uh, believe it or not, and uh, in a tent come to my house for food and everything else. But he was very proud. He would never, I just said, like, crash on the couch. No, no, I'm, I'm fine in the tent. He got a job working at, with a local tree-cutting service. And he loved the job. The guy was, he's an animal anyways. And, you know, climbing trees and cutting things with chainsaws was great to him. Great job. You know, all of a sudden he got an apartment. And uh, his boss had a dog. And the dog used to sit in his truck all day long, and when he did let the dog out, he was mean to it all the time. And at an occasion, would kick the dog. Well, my friend John, my hero, you know, would be up in the tree watching this, and finally one day came to the conclusion that he did not want to work for this fucking guy anymore. Climbs down from the tree, tells the guy, if you fucking touch that dog one more time... I'm going to kick your ass. This is a boss. The <laughs> boss turned around, give the dog a kick in the ass. John attacked him, beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Quit his job. Guess what? He's living, in, he's living in the woods again. But you know what? He was supremely happy yeah, yeah. because he felt that he'd done the right thing. Right. And maybe that's what this is all about is, is, you know, if it's not making you happy, then overcome your fears like John would rather beat the guy up than and live in the woods than watch his bullshit. Yeah. And I remember he, he had moved to Florida <clears> and got a job. He was selling uh, Toyotas and was doing a great job because he's one of those guys. He's just, like I said, he's a hero of mine. He's a gift of gab. And his, uh, his boss used to uh, somehow finagle deals out from under him. He'd steal things and steal commissions and, 
So one day, I just couldn't look at the guy any longer, punched him out <laughs> in the parking lot <laughs> at the toilet dealership. <laughs> this is the way he dealt with things. He just, you know, if you had enough, he'd just knock you out and lost that job. And I'm like, John, like, how can you do that? I mean, you know, how, how are you going to pay the bills? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Doesn't matter. The fucking guy deserved it. Uh, I'm happy about it. And now I don't think, I think probably that was his last real job. And ever since then, he's been selling things on eBay. When you have, when you have the conviction to know that what you're doing is wrong, like when you have the conviction to know that, like, I just, it doesn't agree with me anymore. Like, it, it's not, again, like, I'd rather just do what's right and have less money. Definitely. It's like your, you, your amount of happiness immediately goes up. Your, it just immediately goes up. And then the reality of like having to like face the truth that you have to figure out a way to make money on your own is, um, is terrible and that takes an adjustment. But if you don't put yourself in a situation where you're horribly uncomfortable and forced to make the, make the thing work, then you're not going to. Like, I, mean, you, I find that if any time in life where you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation where it seems like it's really difficult, those are the times where you accomplish the most stuff in your life. You know, like that's when you actually make the greatest strides forward. And sometimes that's financial, and but other times it's not financial. It's just a great strides forward and being happiness, being happy or whatever. There was that country, what was the country in Asia? Um, oh, Bataan. Bataan. That they don't measure gross national product. They ma- measure gross national happiness. And they, they actually uh, deter economic development. Idea. Because they don't want to ruin what makes their citizens happy in that country, so they've like yeah. really stifled their economic development because they they want to measure gross national happiness because they don't see the benefit to their citizens to put them on the treadmill of consumer goods that yeah. you know just makes you feel like you want 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 because there's no correlation between how much stuff you have and how happy you are. Like the difference between f- making five thousand dollars and making fifty thousand dollars is huge. But the difference between making $50,000 and making $50 million is small as far as happiness, the quotient of happiness goes. So it just goes to show you, you know, like a lot of people are so wired that it's a financial game and you have to get into this financial thing. But I think that if you really quantify your time and realize what you need to find a lifestyle that's going to suit you and you, and if you have the courage to make the adjustments to your, you know, your material repertoire that you have, you know, like we were on a good run for a while, my wife and I. You know, we were working our asses off, both of us, full time jobs and career people. And you end up acquiring more shit. You get a more. You're like, what can we do? We need something to fill the void of our unhappiness. Well, let's buy a boat. Oh, we, let, oh, that's not doing it. Let's let's buy a cottage. Let's buy a you know. Maybe the kids need iPods. You bigger know, house. Bigger house. You know, more and more and more and more. And then you keep filling this, the void of unhappiness with this shit. And then you still realize, I'm in the same position I was before. I just have a nicer house where I'm miserable in. You know, I just have a nicer car, but I'm still got the same problems that I had in my shitty car. You know, like I didn't... There's Nothing's really different. I used to be eating the yellow boxes in my cupboards, and now I'm eating brand names, but I'm still... I, I'm, I mean, I'm still eating the same food, essentially. You know, like, there's no real significant difference other than my... I've been conditioned to think that if I have a Lexus versus a Corolla, that I'm uh, I'm doing better. You know, I'm happier. I'm, I'm more accomplished, or whatever it is. And I'm most of the time, that's not the case. Yeah, but at least you're not talking Hyundai. You know, <laughs> you know. And sometimes we talk, and we're really from a middle class perspective because if you're really 
have to pay the bills and feed your family. Sometimes yeah, you then this eat is, so much shit. If, if there's a if there's a lot of people that are hungry out there, there's a lot of people that are having real problems out there. I'm not sure if they're listening to my show, but uh, those people um, think this is all a bunch of shit. Like everything we talked about today is a bunch of a uh, bunch of privileged people whining, whining about yeah. Oh, yeah. whining about how tough their life is. I don't feel fulfilled because I have you know I'm, I have a, a high paying job, but I don't feel fulfilled. Like you know. And they're like, honestly, that is a total first world problem, a total, you know, like it's not a, it's, it's nothing that, but it is totally a hundred percent real to everybody who's going through it. I, I can't, I yeah. can't, I see it happen. It's an epidemic. Right. And and I, we didn't get into the malnourished that, that most people are grossly malnourished as well as going through all the stress because they're just wolfing in whatever they can put in their mouth yeah. as quickly as they can, as processed as they can. Like it's uh, you, you, there's no end to where we can go. It's all interconnected with, our happiness you know yeah but um yeah but why is hamburger helper so good uh, it, is, it is nice eh? yeah. <laughs> love those chemicals <laughs> what are we at? are we over an hour oh yeah we're over an hour we haven't done feedback we're an hour eight we're gonna do a quick feedback we got feedback and then we'll move then we'll uh we'll just uh go on with the show uh so this is a segment we call feedback we got a feedback we got feedback <laughs> Well, feedback, we got feedback. Every week we get feedback from our listeners, and uh, this week was no exception. In fact, one of the feedbacks we got was from our listener of the week last week, Rick Mastronardi. He gave us a nice piece of feedback. He said he likes the show very much so, but what he doesn't like is the only part he doesn't like about the show is feedback. We got feedback. He says sorry at the end of that, right? <laughs> and I said, and so I What's agree. not to like? I don't know what's not to like. Number one of the advertisements I think get to people. Number one, the only advertisement I have this week is Amazon. If you want to go on to your Christmas shopping, go on livefromthedutchhall.com, click on the Amazon banner, and if you'd like to, then do your Amazon shopping. It helps support the show. I just did that this week. I clicked on your banner, and I bought a lovely Christmas present for my wife. It's a big surprise, so I'm not going to say what it is. But uh, it was it was very nice. Oh, really? Thank you very much, Dave, for your support. I'm going to give a round of applause for that. Also, uh, so also uh, as part of feedback, we got feedback every week. I'd like to acknowledge our listener of the week. This week's listener of the week is Dave Kochny from Delhi, Ontario. Dave, thank you for being our listener of the week. I saw Dave at uh, Wacky Wings, and he mentioned uh, how he really enjoyed the uh, female orgasm show. He said that was very good. And so I appreciate the feedback, and that's why he's our listener of the week. And the other person that we were, uh, Dave, while well, you were fired, I don't know if you know this. I've been out of the loop, actually. I've been really busy with uh, work. <laughs> but while, while you <laughs> My were... My work-life balance has been yeah. know, a little tipsy. But... Yeah. While you're away, the Haitian dwarf has also been away. And so, therefore, and just being a logical thinker, um, uh, a lot of my uh, listeners made the deduction that you, being fired from the show, are, is, are the Haitian dwarf. You are the Haitian dwarf. Is that yeah, it? That's ridiculous. I want to tell you right now, because I'm not taking this lightly, because I've been having a relationship with the Haitian dwarf since the beginning of the show, and uh, uh, you happen to be the first guest on the first show. So, uh, if you are the Haitian dwarf... And you have not been telling me that you're the Haitian dwarf all this time. Uh, I'll be very upset because I I don't uh, I like the Haitian dwarf with great fondness, and uh, I would say uh, more so than you. And uh, well, I think anyone who knows me, and you probably know me better than anyone, and uh, it, and people who also have swear on the life of your children, 
Absolutely. The uh, eyes of your uh, of your mother. I'll swear on the Pope, and you know what a staunch Catholic I am. Oh, you are staunch. So I hope that's uh, going to be enough to to quell the rumors. Is that the right word? Quell. I think so. Anyone who re- who listens to any of the Haitian Doors feedback and knows me. Uh, and and understands the cleverness of his feedback, I think knows that it doesn't come from me. Oh, that is true. That is true. <laughs> Let's go to it then. Let's go to the Haitian Doris new feedback. Haitian Dwarf is back and with a vengeance. I actually had some feedback last week, but I actually lost it because when he does the new uh, I, um, iTunes feedback, it, it erases his previous one. So I didn't have a chance to read that one out to you. But I do have this one from episode 50, which went off with uh, very little fanfare. Was Our VG episode was actually episode 50. And he says, um, five stars. Although I do enjoy eating beaver day in and day out, once in a while it would be nice to sink my teeth into a high-quality steak. Do the boys at VG Meats have anything that cuts like a buffalo? Congratulations on 50 episodes, Pete. So thank you very much, Haitian Dwarf, for being for being the best guy to recognize my accomplishment of 50 episodes. Uh, another decade. Yes, and the anniversary show is coming up in uh, two weeks, everyone. So uh, And the T-shirts are on their way. Uh, you can still probably order them, though, on my website. So uh, just go ahead and do that. Yep. Sorry, I just had a... We ended feedback with a nice long what? pee you were break. Grabbing your crotch, I didn't know why. I was getting. I'm getting older, and it, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> when it wants to come out, it wants to come out. I have to run for the hills, so I had to press pa- pa- pause on the show. It's like a freight train. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't trust you guys with open mics. I thought I would have just ruined the show. <laughs> uh, I used to do that. I used to do that in the early show because I said it's live from the Dutch Hall. I'm not going to press pause at all. Leave. So I just leave. And then my, I remember one time I had left my brother to run the show away. Anyways, I uh, th- so basically we're done everything for the show. We're at an hour thirteen, but I wanted to just go into uh, we open the show with kind of my week in review where I uh, broke my wife's leg, uh, uh, went to a rock show and got in a fight. And um, did, it, did, it, did her leg get caught on your ear? <laughs> My ear? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, like, did she have it up? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> did she have it, like, wrapped around your head and you went in for a dive? And, and Oh, like a dirty okay. story. No, yeah, I wish, no. yeah. I am very vigorous at times, but that was not the case. It was a volleyball injury where she actually called the ball, and I, and I uh, still went aggressively for it and uh, stepped on her poor ankle and... And it turns out it's not broken, but uh, it was uh, it's nonetheless an, a, a very troubling experience because when you, when I could, when when you're doing something traumatic like that, it slows it right down, so you can actually, you actually can kind of like you're conscious of what you're doing to your to your wife, like I'm my I'm running and I'm actually got my full weight on her ankle at a very awkward position. It seems like time has stood still now. But I know I, I'm trying to make myself as light as possible. But the reality is, I have to go to the ground to be able to bounce off of her ankle to get off of it, right? So I still have to crush it. So you're still in that split second where you're aware that you are still in the, about to crush your wife's little tiny ankle before you can get up and make her better. So it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I got to tell you, like it, I felt as terrible as a man could feel, especially because she called it. But being the competitor that my wife was, she said that she had no hard feelings. She just said uh, that she was happy that I was going for the ball that aggressively because it showed I wanted to 
you know, get the point, you know, (laughs) she appreciated the effort, but I still felt nonetheless uh, uh, terrible about it. And then I went to a rock show and the rock show was uh, Sam Roberts. And uh, for people that listen to XM, uh, Sirius XM radio in the States, and maybe you listen to, there's another Sam Roberts there that works for the, um, used to be Opie and Anthony. Now it's uh, Opie and Jim or Opie radio or whatever. And Sam Roberts works on that show and he has his own show. But in Canada, we have a guy called Sam Roberts who is actually a great rock star, and we went to go see him in London, Ontario, and it was a great show. I can't uh, say anything, uh, but it was a great show. And when I walked in, uh, we walked, they're a band from Montreal or whatever, and uh, there was an opening band also from Montreal. They're great. But when I walked into the venue, I couldn't believe it. I walked right up to the front rail, like right up to the front rail. I'm on the side stage, but front rail, like uh, the opening band's already playing when we walked in. And I walk right in, and there I am in the front rail. So I couldn't believe it. It was such a great uh, uh, spot to, 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 to notch out at, the, at that point in the show. So we're sitting there, and we're having a great time. Now, all of a sudden, before Sam Roberts even comes out, um, this one lady wheels out another person who's uh, severely handicapped in a wheelchair, severely handicapped, parks him right behind us, right behind us, right? So I am blocking the person who's severely handicapped's view of the stage, right? Was there a painted picture of a wheelchair on the floor where you're standing? No, there was not. No, there was not. But to my to my credit, and and my people, my group will agree to this. I looked. I recognized the woman severely disabled in the wheelchair, standing, and I'm obstructing her view. I look at her handler, and I say. Would you like to bring her up here, like where we're standing? So I'll stand behind her, you know, like roll her right up. And then she can be right front stage and I will sit behind her, you know, like I can still see over the wheelchair, no problem. And uh, she says, no, no, no. As to, as if to say, this person doesn't know where they are. They enjoy the music of Sam Roberts and uh, they're going to be happy to hear things as they convulse in the chair and don't worry about it, sir. Thank you for the offer, but don't worry about it, right? So I feel like I've done my civic duty. I've done what's the right thing. I was told that it's nothing for me to be concerned with. You're at peace. And go on with your night. Now, Johnny Cigarettes comes up. I don't know what his name was, but I've never smelt a guy that, that smells more like cigarettes than this fellow. And uh, he looks like a guy that hangs out at the old Legion most of the time, sucking on a pickled egg. <laughs> and he decides to come up to us and uh, make us aware of the same poor disabled woman who's behind us, and we are obstructing her view. And so I look at him and I say, "Yeah, we've already dealt with that." Like, does he? He has a problem with with you? He says, "We where... are we are being sensitive to this poor woman. Uh, we should recognize the fact that she has her own troubles in life, and then we should accommodate her." Right? He's being a good Samaritan. Uh, we already were good Samaritans. We did that work already. And so we feel at peace with it, and f- but he has not gone through the same process or hasn't picked up on the little subtleties that the handler gave me was saying, like, honestly, don't worry about it, dude. Like, this, this person doesn't know where they are. This guy was very adamant on being the white knight the entire night telling us that we were being horrible and that we should get out of the way, right? To the point where one of the guys that I was with, Jeff Ball from uh, T-Shirt Club, the uh, hero oh, of T-Shirt Oh, one of my Club. favorite episodes. Oh, yeah. Great episode. Really took a resurgence lately in the ratings. It really had a real second wind. 
But uh, Jeff Ball was uh, the one taking the, he was the one in the back. So he was taking the brunt of this guy's abuse the whole show to the point where he was going to lose it eh, at the end. And there was all these people at the very end, like for the encore and stuff like that, that would see an open space in front of the lady in the wheelchair and like try to move in just for the encore to see it. And he would come and tell them, look at this person that you're standing in front of. And then they would feel guilty and leave. So there was this big open spot the whole night. But to us, he we were the one people that wouldn't move because we were already dealt with it yeah so we were the total dickheads and he was a he just wanted to make our lives miserable you know anyways that was story number one what the heck do you do though in a situation like that like could you do I anything you different? Did the right thing you can't do anything different like we did everything we could have we should we should have probably been more adamant at telling this guy to fuck off i think that's the only thing we could have done better you grab the girl out of the wheelchair and throw her on your shoulders <clears throat> that would have helped that would have been great. We would have just had her like flopping around her shoulders. Just hold her steady. Oh jeez. It wasn't it was like a it was a, a hair away from Terry Shivo in the chair. Like there was no and then the guy beside us was blind as a bat and should have been wearing sunglasses. He's one of those sunglasses blind people that like doesn't wear sunglasses. Oh, like he, Bill Cosby's right half. Oh, Cosby's one eye is really weird, isn't it? Yeah, he he definitely he looks like a uh a dead uh, carp on the side of the beach, laying on the beach. Just all, the one eye. He probably got it poked like, out ah. by one of those poked in, uh, by one of those girls at some point. He just poked his eye trying to get away from him. He's all a whole right. other came story. Came from the that from boy, the that right, roofies. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Bill Cosby joke, but I don't know if it's gonna work. And I didn't even completely write it out. You want me to try it though? Sure. Go this is it. like um, uh, Johnny Carson. You know Johnny Carson, Ed McMahon, where he was like the great whatever with the big uh, hat on, and he, he could see the future, and he would have the envelope. You remember, you oh, know, yeah, remember yeah, those bits yeah, on yeah. the old Tonight Show? Yeah. And uh, he would then write it. So this one would be like, so I'm like the great Swanee or whatever, right? And I would go, pudding pop. Pudding pop, right? <laughs> and then, I, then you take the envelope, and you rip it, and you blow into it, yeah. like Johnny Carson yeah. did. And then you open it up. Pudding pop, <laughs> right? Pudding pop. Yeah. And then it's like, I gotta remember this is a punchline, so I yeah. can't fuck it up. I got, I didn't write it down, so I gotta think it in my head. Pudding pop. <laughs> <laughs> what Bill Cosby calls it when you have a, when you have a treat and wake up from a nap with a sore bum. <laughs> Pudding pop. That's the joke. It's something like that. I don't know. I don't know if I pulled it off or not. Pudding pop. That's funny. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so that was it. Oh, the other thing that happened in this story was there's this nice lady that came up beside me. She was. Uh, I went to the bathroom one time and she held my spot for me because she wanted to be up at the stage where I was. And that my friends all said when I come back she had to leave. So she was kind enough that when I came back she gave me my spot back, but she stood beside me. And she was probably a woman in her late thirties, I'd say. Attractive, uh, 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 dark hair, short, um, and uh, very like much there to have a good time. She's very excited about being away. Probably has a family at home. Probably has a job she's getting away from. You know, like having a good time. Uh, she was uh, standing beside me dancing. Every once in a while, you feel her butt kind of like knocking into you. You know, she wanted to dance. And then uh, all I cared about was there was a big disco ball hanging in the middle of the floor. And I, I kept saying to her, I go, see that disco ball up there? Eventually, he's going to use that disco ball, and it's going to be awesome, right? Like when the whole thing lights up with disco oh, ball, yeah, and it's going to go around. So every time he got into a song where he got to that part of the song where it would climax, you know, like where it get to that part where it was like the 
the climax of the song before it broke into the whatever the break or whatever yeah. it would uh i was like i would always point at the disco ball and go bah like it should light up and then this would be awesome right with the disco ball going around at that point where the song oh yeah the song like gets to the crescendo and i kept going he fucking missed it again the disco ball he missed it again right that's all i kept saying to this girl right and so at the end of the concert uh, Sam Robert comes to the front and he's taking pictures with everybody and signing autographs and doing all that stuff. And he's going to meet the people at the front row. Well, we're just staying where we are. We're at the rail. So we're watching him come up towards us. And he's getting to the point where he's right at us. And uh, Mike Bo, who's who got me the tickets, him, is, him and his girlfriend, Nicole, were nice to get us the tickets. They, uh, th- she wanted a picture taken with him. And then these other girls came up to Mike and gave him their camera and said, can you take a picture of us with them? So I knew that it would be because he was standing beside me. Sam Roberts would be close enough to me and looking at me because Mike was beside me that I could t- then say what I wanted to say to him, right? So Sam Roberts comes up to the front stage and uh, or uh, comes up to us and Mike's ready to take the picture. He's looking our way and I go, Sam, great show, but you really fucked up on that disco ball. <laughs> and then <laughs> and he stops the picture and he goes, what? Like he goes what? to me, he's like, what? I go, that disco ball, the whole time you didn't use it. It's right there. Yeah. It's right there. And you could tell he was thrown right off. He didn't know what, yeah. to, he didn't know what to do with it. And I'm just like, I'm out of here. Because I, I just stayed to say that, right? That's, just, that's the only reason I stayed to say that. <laughs> that was my rock star. He's probably still thinking about that, Sam Roberts. Yeah, he's like, what do you mean disco ball? The whole time. <laughs> that was the only thing I hoped to get out of it. And then I got into a fight, which we don't have to talk about. <laughs> I got it is embarrassing. And when a grown man gets into it, it wasn't a, a, a full-on fist fight, but it was a physical altercation. And when you're when you're a grown man at my age, and you get into a physical altercation, there's a certain amount of hum- humiliation that you cannot undo. Like Isn't that like two two this week. What do you mean? Where's my second one? The, when you quit your job at the deck? No, that's my one. Where's the second one? Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I thought you had one at the concert. You got fired. Then. No, 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 no. I got fired. Yeah, it was a fire <laughs> quit thing. That was the most glorious quitting. If there was ever a quitting where people can say you're a folk hero, the 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 job I just recently got fired from yesterday, yesterday or two days, yesterday, yeah, yesterday. It seems like a million years ago when you filled your day with that much anger. But uh, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, that was um, uh, the, uh, very, it was a very glorious quit, but it was uh, like, it was like just hurting everyone that you care about. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, there was no good to come of it. It was nothing that we can brag about. It was only humiliating and sad. Well, so. y- yesterday while that was happening, it was actually a real glorious day for Canada. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but yesterday Canada won another big, international sporting event i don't know if you guys saw this in the news no no i didn't actually dave what would you tell us about it i'd love to i have it up on my phone here (laughs) yeah a winnipegger i'm gonna say his name Corey gallagher because he's a canadian hero today oh yes um yesterday he won an international sporting event in austin texas called the beer mile really it's an annual event and you have to run a mile and you have to drink four beers during the, the during the run. That's part of the event. Easy. And uh, he won it. He ran the mile in five minutes. Ooh, good, good. Time. Almost broke the world record, and he chugged his four beers. So way to go, Corey. Oh well, well hold on. Let me get him a round of congratulations applause. to Corey Gallagher. Oh, sorry. 
Well, that's great news. Is it? That's obviously an international competition, right? Absolutely. Because, uh, yeah. It was in I the state. I think I could do that. I definitely could do that. I did it at the Animal Olympics. Five minutes, though. That's a good time for a mile. Can you vomit while you're running? Uh, it doesn't. I don't. I haven't read I the rule book, but shotgun. What? Oh, in your purple pants? Can you? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> purple pants? You're. Yeah, purple pants. Most of the uh, calls about you were about you wearing purple pants. You didn't bring that up, the purple pants. I didn't bring it up. It's the people that hate you brought it up. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you also know, Dave, while you're getting into stories of the news, did you also know that in, in Britain they had to make some new laws uh, to uh, start to uh, really uh, crack down on their own pornography industry in, really? in Great Britain? Yeah, because they felt that some of the pornography they're making in Great Britain wasn't uh, wasn't usually, good. Usually, fat chicks with big tits. What I always with the British people is fat chicks with big tits. That, that's what oh, they yeah. and bad like teeth jugs. Yeah, mostly I don't watch the British porn very often, to be honest with you. But apparently, <laughs> that's not uh, your first search. No, I usually go into you know go to other parts of the world that are a little bit more uh, more interesting. <laughs> you know, like. Um, what was wrong with Britain? Why? What didn't they like about their? Well, their porn. They porn. said that some of the acts weren't uh, weren't conducive to what they wanted to do, uh, what they wanted to uh, promote in their society, and they want to ban these uh, these certain acts from any sort of uh, British porn, which is uh, really great. It's like um, if you take away the, it's like if you take away the ability to make British porn, it's just like British people can't watch. Um, British people doing these acts, but they can easily watch Americans, uh, Canadians, Hungarians, Russians, uh, That's right. all the rest of the world doing these things, Japanese, all the rest of the world are doing these things. But these are the, this is the list of things you cannot do in British porn anymore. Spanking is out. No spanking. No caning. <laughs> you also cannot cane people. <laughs> Those are good. Aggressive whipping is also not allowed in British porn. <laughs> so spanking, caning... It's a bit of a theme. Well, this is one. Uh, uh, penetration by any object associated with violence, right? Is no, You cannot penetrate a person with anything associated with violence. So this would mean I, you can't... No baseball bats? No, violence. You can't put a baseball bat in there. You can't put a uh, pistol. You can't put a knife in a girl's vagina. <laughs> You also cannot put a uh, Bible. It's associated with violence. <laughs> or a Koran. I suppose you could not put that in a girl's vagina. Those are all things you can't do in Britain. Uh, physical or verbal abuse, regardless of, it, if, of, it, of if it is consensual. Verbal. You can't do anything like you, you can't, can't say. like you stupid. You know, no, you're all your. You see, you're, there's some very degrading porn on the internet that I have witnessed. And no I tell spitting. you. It doesn't say spitting. I think you're still allowed to spit. But they said uh, uh, urogynia. No, urogynia. Urogynia. Genia. Urogynia. You know what that means? No. It's otherwise known as water sports. So no no water sports. No peeing on people in British porn anymore. That's done. Female ejaculation, a.k.a. squirting, also outlawed from British porn. That is somehow now no longer okay. Really? No, I'm saying this is what I, what, if you go back to the female orgasm episode, what they said was the female, um, the female ejaculation is actually kind of a, uh, an anomaly. It happens with a very small percentage of the population and it happens to be something that just uh, is not really something that is uh, um, 
you know, premeditated. It's something that just happens to these women, you know, like they, they spontaneous. do spontaneous. You can't uh, legislate it. So now if a girl happens to female ejaculate, uh, that it can no longer be public. They, they have burn to the cut tapes. that. Yeah, burn the, burn tapes. the tapes. Burn the tapes. Or, or, or say that's filmed in Hungary. <laughs> Strangulation is not allowed. Face sitting is also no longer allowed in British porn. Uh, Girl on guy or both ways? If anyone sits on another person's face, it is not allowed in British pornography anymore. And uh, fisting. Fisting is out. So those are all the things that are uh, out in British porn. <laughs> Let's face it. No one was looking up any of that stuff anyway. Not for Britain. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know there's people in Britain that like a good face sitting? There's definitely people in Britain that are into that. It's a big country. There's as many people in Britain as there is, a, you know, I'm sure there's people in Canada that are in that stuff. I think the biggest site there is Snaggletooth Facials. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite British website is Snaggletooth Facials. Uh, that one or uh, uh, hand jobs with fish and chips fingers. <laughs> That's another big one. <laughs> the greasy hand. Yeah, the, the newspaper grease hand. It just gives that extra little bit of juice to get you through the day. Well, let's leave on that happy note. <laughs> so, guys, I hope if you've listened to this show, you've, if you've learned anything, it's just that uh, do whatever you want. Quitting your job's not easy, <laughs> but um, if it makes you happy, it's worth looking into. That's all I got to say. And, uh, you know, sometimes money's not the only thing. So if you took anything from the show, that's it. Otherwise, uh, I want to thank you all for listening this week. Thank you for my guests for coming in. I'm glad, Dave, I'm glad we could patch it up this week. Wow. And um, continue to support my Amazon page. Uh, look at my website, see where our new sponsors are. Uh, we have an exciting new sponsor we're working on getting in here. He actually uh, is well-known to the show. He wants to promote his business. Uh, hopefully, we'll have something worked out uh, within the next week or two. And uh, so reach out to me at lifeinthedutchhall.gmail.com. Um, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, please. If you're going to, if you're going to like, or like my episode, uh, if you could share it, that'd be even better. And if you want to favorite my episode on Twitter, if you'd like to retweet, it, it's even better because it gets out to a bigger audience. So, uh, and also I like to say hello to all my friends in Utah. And if any of you guys in Utah want to reach out to me, you know, my, my email live from the I want to find out what you guys are thinking in Utah, the utopians, the utopians. We have to figure out what's going on there. Anyways, other than that, we'll see you next week, and thank you all for listening. Uh, oh, shit. I wish I get this stuff ready in advance. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you.